Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you're listening. Welcome back to AI and the Future of Work. Thanks again for making this one of the most downloaded podcasts about the future of work. If you enjoy what we do, please like, comment, rate, and share in your favorite podcast app, and we'll keep sharing great conversations. I'm your host, Dan Turchin, advisor at Insight Finder, the system of intelligence for IT operations, and CEO of PeopleRain, the AI platform for IT and HR employee service. Now, the most expensive and inefficient way to engage customers is by having them speak with a live service agent who frequently places them on hold, creates a ticket, and then promises to follow up. By contrast, the easiest way to engage them is using existing sources of knowledge to find answers to their questions automatically using natural language. We've always known that's the best experience, but until recently, we just haven't had the combination of NLP technology or machine learning infrastructure to automate the entire process. Today's guest is developing that technology that's required to make customer experiences with bots feel more like conversations with the best live agents. The insight behind companies like Dotit AI is that the best answer to every customer question already lives in existing knowledge articles or maybe historical tickets. Finding it can be tricky, but there should be a reliable way to turn data into answers in real time using natural language. Chandra Katri is the chief scientist and head of AI at Gaudet AI, which develops tools for customer experience management. Chandra's at the forefront of NLP research, having spent time in senior AI engineering roles at Uber and Amazon after having received his master's in machine learning from Georgia Tech in his undergrad from Bits Polani in 2012. Without further ado, Chandra, welcome to AI in the Future of Work. Let's get started by having you share maybe a little bit more about your background and uh, how you got excited about this space. Thanks, Dan, for the introduction and also for the invitation. So about myself, you already gave a good background on what, uh, what I've been doing, but to, give, to talk about my journey, I have been in this AI space uh, for over a decade now, and particularly in the area of conversational AI and NLP for almost, uh, yeah, almost, I would say close to a decade. So it, the journey began when I was at Georgia Tech, and over there, I was uh, building some of the applications in NLP, and then there was a rise of, or sudden rise of conversational AI technologies such as Alexa in 2014-15. It was around that time I, I saw that, you know, this area of NLP and conversational AI is becoming big. And consumer space is just the area where things are starting up, but the impact is going to be almost in every vertical. It will be in IT, it will be in healthcare, it will be in HR. It will be there is no vertical which will not be impacted by this. And that led to the uh, my, my journey so far. Uh, I, I built, I was the founding member of eBay's uh, conversational group and then uh, jumped on to Alexa AI, founding member of, uh, being the founding member of Alexa Price. So that was a great uh, experience for me. Alexa AI and Alexa Price. We built a lot of good stuff there. And uh, then after that, uh, I, along with some of the uh, leading experts in conversational AI, we formed a conversational AI group at Uber AI, uh, where we built some of the conversational applications for drivers and riders at Uber. And which is very important because in Uber, you know, while drivers are riding their cars, uh, we or any vehicle, we have to sort of empower them so that they are safe. And also they can, uh, and some, some countries have, uh, you know, uh, legally they're not required to interact with the phone or interact with uh, the, let's say, riders while they're driving, right? 
So we wanted to make this application very easy for them. And that's why we built a lot of these conversational AI applications for them. And then it was around that time I, uh, I met with uh, Peter Allen, who is the chairman of Goddard AI. We, he asked me a question, well, you know, what, uh, if you want to build autonomous conversational AI system, what is needed? So I told him, you know, it's, it, it's in the near term, it was not possible or it was not there because the way this entire ecosystem is built, but uh, there is a way. And luckily Transformers technology happened to come and we, we chatted and chatted and I started advising. And finally I joined a few years ago and then we have built world's first fully autonomous conversational AI system. But by that, what it means is that, uh, as you said, we can build a conversational experience out of any historical logs. It could be email tickets, it could be chat, it could be voice transcripts or voice logs, or it could be even FAQ articles. What we do is we consume any kind of interactions, historical logs or interaction or existing data, such as articles, FAQs. We consume them or our technology consumes them and automatically gives you uh, a conversational experience, which typically takes weeks to months for enterprise and many, many months for actually large enterprise. We give that experience within few hours, few minutes, few hours to few days max. So that is that is our technology that we are aiming and we have built, and that is what we're going after. Before God at AI, you were at three of the most iconic AI cultures or early leaders in AI in eBay, Amazon, and Uber. Tell us about the different ways that technology gets developed there and what you learned from the cultures there as you took over the role at Goddard AI. Well, that's a great question. So I would say I've been in different eras of AI. So eBay was one of those where the application around 2013, 2014, 2012, that was a time of recommendation system. Most of the AI and machine learning was for search, ranking, better search. You know, that was the era. So I've, I've been in those uh, that time where that's where the AI was. Then when I was at Amazon, uh, you know, Alexa, when we were founding main or building blocks of Alexa, at that time, uh, the technology was slightly shifting towards more uh, conversational and consumer-oriented applications of NLP. So, uh, so therefore, the product was different. The experience was different. The interface was voice. And as you know, since 2017, 16, uh, gig economy came happened to come into picture you know uber lyft you know instacart bunch of other of these you know uh, gig economies are coming up so uber was that experience where the applications moved from not only ai applications what you see as a through your devices it was more towards the entire ecosystem and operations right so now ai is moving from ai moved or machine learning moved from search ranking to conversational experience of products now to more operations as well and the next wave which I am right now at Goddard AI is uh, making almost even executives and large enterprise more powerful because these companies do not have any AI capabilities. The idea is to take AI from operations to the entire supply chain, entire chain, right? And those application area could be IT, healthcare, bunch of others, HR, as, as you mentioned, right? So these are the different verticals. We are going to empower them more and more. And the technology, if you see, is moving from in 2014, 13, before that, the technology was centered only towards large companies. You know, eBay used to be big at that time or Google or Facebook, you know. So the technology was there only in the hands of those, right? Then uh, 16, 17 open source happened to come like in AI space. And now it is, you know, now there is no code AI stuff, which is making uh, everyone, which is empowering almost everyone. And soon uh, there are more technologies coming up, such as what we built at Goddard AI, 
that will empower even CIOs or product officers or PMs because then they who do not have as hands-on in technology, they can they will be able to build all these tools with underlying AI doing the work. So that's where technology has evolved. In terms of culture, I would say uh, uh, all of the companies have different cultures. In fact, before eBay, I was at Oracle. Oracle was even, uh, it was before my grad school. So I've seen different uh, wave and different uh, way people have interacted the entire ecosystem. So I would say each company has given me a different uh, perspective. For example, eBay gave me a perspective on how to optimize on rankings, how to optimize on the last few bids, you know, that that that, that the final layer of only 0.1%, 0.2%, that kind of improvement. Amazon kind of gave me a, a perspective of leadership principles as Amazon is known for its leadership principles, how things, uh, uh, how to take a big idea and break it down and then through how to sort of lead with your team in terms of how to live leadership principles uh, that Amazon lives by, especially also around their documentation, the way they do PR FAQs and stuff like that. And then when I was at Uber, my, uh, my, the culture, which or the culture of Uber at that time was how to be more and more uh, 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 equal and, or, or I would say how to make things, how to make this entire community of riders, drivers, in fact, users and everyone, how to take everyone together. Now, again, I was moving more towards that kind of culture where we want to respect everyone and a lot of things have happened. And then at Gaudi AI, the culture, again, it's entrepreneurial, so I'm learning just everything, you know, uh, from business development to uh, uh, even recruitment, HR, it's, it's like startup is its own different journey where I'm almost playing different hats uh, or in or having different hats uh, or playing different roles in a way. Now, all AI is really a data problem. And at eBay and Amazon and Uber, you had a big data problem. By contrast, I'm going to guess that it got at AI when you're dealing with enterprise problems, you have a small data problem. <laughs> Talk to us about the challenges when you have less data. How do you build reliable, scalable AI without the benefit of limitless amounts of data like you had at those big companies? Great question. And in fact, timing-wise, this question becomes more relevant because uh, you see, uh, as, as you pointed out, before 2017-18, technology was centered with, or was with only large companies which had data. Now with open source and tools like Hugging Face and a bunch of other open source tools, PyTorch, TensorFlow, they, and a lot of open source data available, uh, you know, because of the web, people uh, people can train NLP models on the data on the web, Wikipedia, Reddit, etc. On image, there is so much data on the web now. So data has not become as big of a problem if you if the applications are general applications, right? But as we tend to go for more specific applications for enterprise, data becomes a problem still. So how, let's say, if I want to have an autonomous system for, let's say, healthcare, how will I build it if I don't know their vocabulary? How will I know if I don't have the access to their schema? So that's where uh, this new transfer learning technologies come into picture. So these days, uh, what is happening is we, as a researchers, we train our large models or uh, on public data sets or using state-of-the-art technologies. And then uh, what we do is something like transfer learning. We take that technology and we only fine tune or just modify a little bit for the end user enterprise. There still is a gap, but uh, but you know we just mean, want to make that minimal change. And I give I, I give this example uh, you know uh, often you know you you know like for example pizza take a pizza. So Italians or maybe even Greeks some say 
but they have cracked the problem of uh, the how to make the pizza so you know the base you know what is what goes into it there is bread there is cheese there is sauce but now people can take that and make very variations of those right those right so some people uh, might like uh, you know sausage on top some people might like veggies on top so the base is that that the base part is common it's available to everyone that knowledge is available that more those models are available now people just can put their toppings on the top you know like, or whatever the toppings they like or they prefer so that is what is happening now so data is still a problem but it is for the final milestones or the last leg or you know when we need to make this applications for those enterprise and that also relies on heavy data or larger data but it's not in the orders of millions of samples but these days it's in the order of thousands or maybe even hundreds depending on the kind of problem almost all of us that have spent time around nlp technology in the enterprise have been frustrated because of the slow adoption what do you think is holding back broader nlp adoption in the enterprise is it the technology is it cultural is it something else and to the extent you you may not even agree with that statement but i it's certainly something i felt in uh you know over the last decade would love to get your perspective on that that's a great question in fact that is the fundamental to in fact very close to even us like got ai so i would say the biggest uh, reason for not active adoption is ease of use so cios executives in fact sometimes even investors they know what the problem is right like they know application and end user problem they know their problem very well in fact they know their space and industry very well and technologists who uh, are building you know like open source community or you know uh, scientists and engineers they are building technologies but there's a big gap in the middle and that gap leads to a not great ease of use or not great experience so that that gap is leading to not as much or as smooth adoption of this technology so technology is there actually you know uh, the kind of technology that we have today can address a lot of the problems which cios or executives already have just that it is not happening or the pace is slower because people in the middle that funnel is missing either people who from the product mindset they are not getting deep into ai or from pm and that's for this you might have heard of this new roles coming up which was not there before called technology program manager technical program manager this is these kind of fields coming up a lot and it will continue to grow because there's a gap between product and executives and engineers or scientists and this these are the people who actually understand technology high level and they also know uh, the application will get to learn so and that is the so this is one solution or where things are going another one is no code ai so you might have heard of a lot of these no code ai companies coming up uh, airtable bunch of other companies you know in fact even golad ai is no code ai what is happening is executives they don't need to know or you know the program managers or leaders they don't need to really know the ai part of it they just need to know what needs to be done or they should need they just need to know what their problem is so how to feed the data has been now automated and you know they just need to connect with their apis wherever the data is it's an aws or snowflake etc then second thing is what kind of application do they need so for that there are these no code ui tools so a lot of these no code ai companies they just have they just begun i would say they will make it much more easy in the next 3 4 5 years things will become even more easy for them uh, so adoption will be more because now what what is happening is the executives they don't need to really learn ai they just need to know these tools ai will automatically update with time right 
So that's what even we developed already. So we have this discovery models, as I told you, like we automatically build the system and automatically build the bots. What product people or executives or they need to do is they just need to make sure that what whatever the recommendations are, those are relevant for their business. Or if some minor changes are there, they can simply do it via UI. Like they can simply make some tweaks here and there in the UI or using some tool or maybe one or two developers, not as much, right? To make some connections or integrations, etc. Not the army of engineers. So the, that gap with this no-code AI will get reduced. That is from the executive side or, or program or product side. But from the execution side, this kind roles kind TPM, TPM, those, those kind of roles will actually bridge the gap between engineers and the product. Let's build on that. So assuming the quality of the NLP is not the problem, it's really the quality of the user experience. And assuming there is this new role, the TPM, technical product manager exists, what is the optimal user experience that we're missing today? I would say that there are some applications which have adopted these technologies more and some application or some domains um, that has not been the case. For example, uh, if you look at healthcare, these technologies could empower healthcare much more. But given the responsibility and given the legal system and also different aspects of healthcare, the adoption has not been as much. Same thing with government and same thing with defense as well, right? So I would say, uh, and, and there are some domains which are uh, healthy adopter, for example, e-commerce, right? That's why you see Airtable. That's why you see drag and drop UI or building. These days, especially after pandemic, building a website, building a business is just matter of clicks, right? You just need to know matter of, you just need to know your tools. You just need to make sure you're managing your inventory and uh, main, maintaining your inventory via uh, tools like Airtable. So essentially, what is happening is that some domains have been early adopters because of maybe it's a pandemic or whatever. And also that 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 domains people, there is less constraint and they're more eager and then they know what they need to do. So people tend to do that way. But other verticals, there has been a less adoption. So I would say to your question, what will happen or what could happen is that the domains which have adopted these state-of-the-art technologies, they will guide and they will also bring up the issues which other domains should be careful of. For example, you know, PII has been a big problem, private, you know, bunch of these things have been becoming problem, even ethical issues. So these other domains will bring those up. So before even we get to healthcare or, or other domains which are more critical, such as uh, uh, defense and all those, they will, before these applications get there, these kind of problems will be addressed. And by that time, you know, uh, and by the time once these problems are figured out, they will also adopt these technologies. So I know you're on the cutting edge of NLP research, and I saw you've done some exploration into a technology you mentioned, transformers. Explain to our audience, how are transformers being used in the field of NLP and any other advancements in NLP that, that you're seeing on the front lines of uh, research? Transformers, as the name, the name is rightly said, so I would say, so if I were to explain transformers in layman's term, it will be, I can give an example of pizza, same example. Uh, you know, transformers, it's a technology of, for, or very well used when you have pre-trained models. So for example, you know, I can train lots and lots of pre-trained models for different applications. One could be computer vision, one could be, uh, let's say NLP, another one could be, let's say robotics. So what transformers are great at is you provide lots and lots of data and, or even within NLP, you can have one vertical could be healthcare, another vertical could be HR, another one could be IT. So there's one company in MoveWorks, right? They're doing pretty well in the IT. Their company is in healthcare as well. 
So in HR, there are a couple of companies which are building bots and stuff or NLP applications for help for HR. So what is happening is Transformers is that building block which you can train with lots and lots of data available or data in that particular application or domain. And once you do, you do that, then you can only fine tune with some samples. So for example, if I, if I take a bot for IT, let's say MoveWorks, I can uh, simply now tweak it to company like Nutanix. I can keep, tweak it to company like Facebook. I can tweak it a little bit to for the company like Google. So essentially what is happening is you take this core piece, which is for this domain or this application and only fine tune for certain end user use cases. And that's Transformers. So Transformers essentially is the building block for, uh, for greatly for fine tuning of our training. You pre-train them and then you use it for different applications. On the computer vision side, what, what Transformers is the same thing. It's that you take, you have, you have trained a, a really good model, a Transformers pre-trained model on identifying objects. So it might be able to identify, let's say, cats, dogs, elephants, or maybe even trees, humans, right? Cars. Now, uh, but it might not do as well on what type of car it is. Is it a Mercedes? Is it a, is it a Porsche? You know, a bunch of other BMW. So what you do is you basically take those transform model and now only give few examples in the end for different, uh, you know, it's, it's Subaru or, you know, it will do all those kind of classification with few examples here and there. So it already knows that these are cars, but it does not know what brand of that car is, right? So that's what Transformers do. Transformers is that technology where you fine tune train and good thing about Transformers is that it is mostly driven by open source community. So they're available. All of these models are available. So even if for, as a researcher or as a company or, you know, anyone wants to use it, I don't need to train from scratch. I can simply take it and only give a few examples for my application and then that's it. Otherwise, to get to this point, it used to be six months to one year cycle, which now is, which now only takes a few days or maybe depending on if it's enterprise, maybe a week. So what used to take a year or more than a year, for enterprise now it is taking only a few days to a week because now you already have this as i said pizza base available i just need to get my toppings and then put those toppings on what i like on my application you mentioned pii uh, personally identifiable information a bit ago i'm interested as a technologist what are the ethical issues in and around ai whether it's data algorithms etc that most concern you i would say uh the most important aspect is that we have been, or community has been running fast, or you know something like this, Facebook has this quote, move fast and break things. Uh, that has been the, uh, I will not say mindset, but I would say rather approach. So researchers, because they work in silos, or people who build technology, they work in silos, and they try to empower as many people as they can, right? But given that the same technology can have adverse impact, uh, those things are well taken care of because they're, they're trying to empower. The more you try to empower with tools that ease, as, as these tools are more available, uh, people can misuse them, right? So, for example, uh, share how to use chemicals, chemical work with another chemical, all of those. Once you make this information very, uh, like everyone has access to, and also with tools, people can make bad stuff out of it or something which is dangerous, such as chemical bombs and stuff like that, right? So, point is that the more you empower, it's not like researchers are trying to build those things. Researchers are trying to make everyone empowered. They're trying to empower everyone, right? But they could be used for adverse effects. And that's what is happening with PIR. Or not PIR is one example, but that is what is happening with technology as well. So what can be done is that now that we have built this technology, we have, now we know that we are, we have already, we are already at the forefront of where things are and they will be. 
So now a large group and people who lead these groups, they should come together and they should, uh, it would be good for them to come up with guidelines on how to, what, what to open source, how to open source, or, you know, maybe you want to open source everything, but access of that one could be case by case basis, right? Or maybe the people who are using it, they should be licensed. You know, we have GPL license, we have a bunch of license, right? So that way, you know, people are using this information or these models in a, in a good way. But now that, that is the, what I just said is the problem of the application, but not in the uh, generation or building of these models, right? When you build these models, there is other aspects here. So from that point of view, what researchers can do is they can clean the data in advance, right? Or they can have another set of models, which, which flags the data, which could be biased, which could have PII which could have uh, uh, other kind of these potential adverse uh, aspects to it. So we can identify those and then a human in the loop can further remove it or clean it up or whatever, right? Uh, model can do a large part of it, but again, human in the loop can do the final verification. And once that is done, then they can start training the models. And that is what is happening these days now. Even uh, 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 companies such as OpenAI, Google, Facebook, they have built large language models such as GPT-3, et cetera, et cetera. What they're doing is now they have uh, even Google, they, they, they've built a large set of uh, steps or they've shared a list of steps which they account for before this data goes into production or into the modeling. In fact, even if the model is trained, then there's a test set which we can create and a lot of people are creating. In, in fact, we, we also create a test set where we explicitly look for whether this model is doing the right thing. Whether, is it biased or not? Is it generating any PII, right? So we have those test sets where we try to account for and make sure that this model uh, meets all those requirements and then only we push into production. So it's a responsibility of everyone, the ecosystem, uh, researchers, and also people who are using and consuming them in applications. So I think I would say it has to, uh, all of us will have to come together and play our part to make sure that the applications that we're building are safe. So let's say hypothetically, Guided AI makes a recommendation that causes harm to an end user. They, I don't, they use a product the wrong way, uh, they buy the wrong product, whatever it is, but there's actually some tangible harm. And let's say, um, again, hypothetical, but the data that was sourced by the customer is of poor hygiene. It's biased, it, it's inconsistent, whatever the case may be. Who is responsible? Is it, the, is it the provider of the algorithm, the provider of the data, the system that builds the model? I mean, not that it matters who's responsible. Most, what's most important is not harming a customer. But how do you unpack that as a technologist? Then it's a it's a great uh, question, especially relevant to how we do at Godot AI. But let's let's try to look at the fundamental problem of how learning works. So if you if you take kids for example, kids, their parents and people around them they try to make things as safe as possible for them. Especially you take a kid of let's say two years or eighteen months, right? They're learning. They are just trying to explore everything around them, right? So. However, checks and balance, which their parents or people around them try to make, every once in a while, uh, things happen, right? So AI is also like that. It is still developing. It's not ready there yet, and especially in the kind of applications which we are dealing with these days. Uh, AI is there, applications are there, but still they're in the early stages. So what we have to do is to try to uh, give as much feedback as possible, try to make the system as much, uh, try to have enough checks and balances, and if every once in a while, when we see that they are not doing a good thing, then we we go then we go and then we give them feedback. So what we do at Godot AI is something similar, uh, because you you sort of brought this up. We 
Our approach is to discover from historical logs, historical interactions of emails, voice logs, chat logs, and even articles. So what we do is we discover from the data, the real data, right? So all kinds of anomalies would have been taken care of, biases would have been addressed, and a lot of these uh, real applications scenario might have been addressed largely. But uh, which, which is kind of different from almost every other uh, company in this space, where they manually design the flows and manually provide the data, which is very limited. So because we discover from real conversations, we address them way ahead in advance, as opposed to when they appear once the application is deployed. So that is one approach that we that is unique uh, and that actually address a large portion of a large portion of these issues or large percentage of these issues. And but every once in a while things go bad, or therefore we have this feedback loop. So the moment if AI did not behave as it was supposed to be, we have this active learning loop, which uh, which learns from uh, the scenario where it did not do well on. And next time it will try to pick it up and then it will learn from it. And therefore it will not be repeating the same mistake. And I think that is what is happening across other applications as well. But uh, there's a big gap. Not everyone has this active learning loop. And what we need is a good feedback loop where people or users, end users, they are giving us feedback and AI researchers or designers, engineers, they take that feedback and update the system as quickly as possible. So Chandra, I got to get you off the hot seat. We're about out of time, but uh, you got to answer one last question for me. So uh, given what you know about what's ahead in terms of NLP and kind of broader AI technology, what's one thing that you think will be commonplace at work, let's say in 10 years, you know, we're having a version of this conversation in 2032. What are we doing then that would seem like science fiction today? I would say AI will be ubiquitous. I mean, it will be teaching students, teaching kids. It will be uh, and the teaching will not end just or will, will not stop at university level. The teaching will go even at uh, offices, right? Or people will be using AI for coding, for, which has already started, but not as good right now. But AI will be like a tool. And uh, so in, if, I, if you were to ask me, AI will be a tool which even common people or not, not common people, people who are not AI expert, even they will be using it. So it will be available to almost everyone in the form of education for learning, for their own applications, for their own tasks, which they do. And that is what AI will, uh, so I would say it is more about this availability of these AI tools that will be very common, which today feels like science fiction because, you know, we have had this version of Jarvis in Iron Man or stuff like that. Uh, so that we will be getting close to that. The challenge will be how to have single AI. That's what the problem is. Currently we have a lot of AI applications voice assistants built by Alexa or uh, tools such as Godot AI is building or education, we have different tools, will be, there will be different tools. So the common problem, which I'm looking forward to is, would we be able to bring all of, this all of these things to single assistant or single, single AI or single AI communicating with, communicating with all of them? That is something which I'm looking forward to, but in general, we will see AI applications everywhere and available to every, every end user. Chandra, I'm looking forward to that future. That's, uh, that's pretty exciting. And I agree. I think that'll be here within the next decade. Uh, let's see, before I can let you go, uh, where can the audience learn more about you and your work? So they can, I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, so, I mean, please feel free to reach out. I, uh, I, I respond very quickly and then try to connect as much as I can. And of course, there is a website where there is contact, uh, Got it AI. You can reach out there. But generally, uh, I'm available on LinkedIn. So, Excellent. Well, this is a fun conversation. Thanks for uh, hanging out. So thanks, Dan, for the invitation, and I really enjoyed this interaction. You bet. Well, that's a wrap for this week on uh, AI and the Future of Work. 
I'm your host, Dan Turchin, but uh, we are back next week with another fascinating guest. <laughs>